Hello, welcome to the Keys Coach podcast. This is the podcast where we interview piano, keys and synth players and talk about their life in music. Today's guest is singer and pianist Paola Vera. In this conversation, we spoke about her early days, how she developed her piano playing alongside her singing, we talk about her time at music college and we also dive deep into her songwriting process. We talk about her work as a teacher where she divides her time between London and France and we also find out how she became an Estill master trainer. Paola runs the amazing international singing and songwriting retreat in France which sounds like such a great course. I've put the link in the description. I've known Paola for a number of years now and it was great to sit down with her and talk about her journey. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Paola. It's great to see you. I was trying to think of the last time I saw you. Weirdly, we do actually work at the same place, but we very rarely bump into each other. Unfortunately, yeah, but hopefully we can try and make it a bit more uh, <laughs> regular of a bump in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Year, a regular bump in. It's good. Um, so whereabouts are you today? You, you said you're in, in France. Yeah, so I'm based in the southwest of France in a tiny little kind of sleepy tourist village called Aimé. Oh, um, beautiful. Yeah, and it is it is really beautiful, and it's funny because in the summer it suddenly becomes like really alive and buzzing. Lots of tourists and all the restaurants are going, and like there's loads of like people, but the rest of the time it's like really quiet and uh, and chill. So yeah. Oh, amazing! That's so nice. So obviously you're living in France now, but where whereabouts did you grow up originally? Uh, I kind of grew up everywhere, but I'd say probably spent most of my time in Kent. Right. And just before going to music college, but I travelled quite a lot as a child with my parents, uh, well, my dad's work, really. So I was born in London, but then I was moved to Switzerland and then moved to Scotland and then moved to Kent. And Kent's probably the longest place I've been in (laughs) before moving to London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. And sort of how did you, was your family musical? How did that, I'd love to know how the whole music thing happened with you. Was it, was you in like a musical house or, or was, was this more something that you just got into yourself? Yeah, totally random. Um, my family aren't musical. No one in my family plays an instrument, but they do now. So that's the funny thing. It's kind of changed because since I got into music, then um, I got my dad into music. <laughs> okay. But he's always, they've always really loved music, but no one was like a musician or anything like that. Uh, how did I get into it? Good question. I think I just always liked singing at school. I, I used to like singing the hymns and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I probably just got into it like that. And I had a really, one of my best friends at school was a really good musician. And so I just wanted to be like her. And I started copying her and figuring oh, stuff amazing. out and piano and singing. and Yeah, went off like that. So for anyone who, anyone who doesn't know, Paola's an amazing singer and pianist, which is one of the hardest things to do is to sing and play. So wh- which one of those came first? Was it the singing? Yeah, definitely singing, yeah. And then yeah. the piano came came later as a kind of, you wanted to be able to come to yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, it's so funny that I was thinking about this the other day, like my earliest memories of that. I was always kind of um, like trying to pick stuff out on the piano and... And my parents did see that. And so they gave right. us lessons, me and my sister. Um, my sister plays piano as well. And so we shared a piano lesson, you know, we had like half an hour shared <laughs> at the same time. Like you on the top end. and Yeah, it was a bit like that. Yeah, it was brilliant. And then and then it, and then I was like trying to work stuff out that I heard on TV, you know, like theme tunes and things like that. And I was always really attracted to the jazzy ones. So like Will and Grace and <laughs> Fraser trying to work out what the top part was uh and then I started yeah and it's, it's funny when I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about songwriting and 
Like one of my earliest memories of like year seven music was when our teacher said, oh, um, does anyone, you know, want to play something to the class? It was like, you know, an icebreaker. And I don't know why, but I did. I got up and like played a song that I'd like made up that week. And I for life of me can't remember it. <laughs> I can't remember oh, why so I cool. did that. But it was just, you know, like boshing away on the piano and singing. And I couldn't even really play it, I don't think. But for some reason, that was just what came. I think I was quite naturally attracted to that. And yeah. And off doing oh, amazing that. <laughs> that's really really cool i mean the, so what, your, your lessons that you're having on piano they would have been more classical piano lessons yeah were only, they classical, like more chord based? Or only classical so yeah i didn't anything to do with like learning to sing and play on my own i had to learn on my own i just right. had a like a straight up classical teacher and i did like grade eight piano and you know all the stuff you do the bark and yeah. and stuff which i really liked but actually i think i would have definitely benefited more from somebody that was more open to singing and playing at that age but at the time that was all that was about and uh, she was like really into baroque music which now I'm like oh I love baroque music <laughs> I wish I'd made the most of that <laughs> yeah. but at the time I thought it was really dull <laughs> yeah it's kind of interesting that isn't it it's been funny talking to different piano players I think a lot of a lot of people have found that that like that there was a slight disconnect between the piano they were learning in their lessons and then what they go and play when the piano teacher wasn't there. I think there's a really weird kind of like balance there. They're almost like two separate things. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, and lessons. And I remember getting told off all the time for like just not doing enough metronome practice or enough technical practice. Um, wow. Whereas. And which now I, li I think about that now and I'm like, yeah, she was right. I wasn't, <laughs> I was just too busy messing around trying to figure out theme tunes and like video game theme tunes on the piano and whatever. It's so funny though, isn't it? Because we all, you know, at the time you kind of think of that as being not doing what you should be doing. But actually, probably now, given what you do now and the sort yeah. of music you play, that like doing that, working that out by ear at that early age, probably set all sorts of things in motion for the future. Yeah, and I actually wish I'd done more of that then. I wish somebody had said to me, oh, that, yeah, keep doing that, that's a good thing. Because at the time, I, di I didn't really, and I was concentrated on reading. And then mm. when I went to music college, I had to kind of re-go the other way, and I had to like yeah. go back to trying to work stuff up by ear again. And it, and it was much harder. And I remember thinking, oh, I actually should have been doing this the whole time instead of trying to learn Bach preludes, but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned you went to music college you actually you went straight to trinity right trinity laban yeah yeah so after school well actually it's funny it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction really because when i went to i went to um a grammar school in kent called highworth grammar and it was i was really lucky because the head of the jazz band at the school happened to be married to the art teacher and I was really into art. Right. <laughs> and um, I also used to play double bass and um, he needed a double bass player in his band. And so I started playing double bass in like, you know, the school jazz band. And then he said, oh, you know, I saw that you sing a bit in choir and stuff. Would you be interested in trying out singing? And I was like, yeah, all right. And I had a go and this was like before my GCSEs, I think. And uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, that wasn't bad. You know, over the holidays, you should check out, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan. And so I did. And then I got into singing. So I started singing for the band at that point. And then and then that was kind of the beginning of like gigging, really, because I started gigging with his band outside of school. Wow. So you only like how old was, how old were you I was there, like 16? Yeah. Or 16. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Through then, I met lots of other connections because in Kent, there's like a little jazz scene at the time. 
And I actually met some of the people that I still play with now back when I was still at school. So I met Paul Booth, who's an amazing multi-instrumentalist, like yeah. saxophonist, and he plays piano as well and everything, basically. I met him when I was at school. Oh, so <laughs> I was like, and then he started yeah. booking me for functions, you know, when they had little functions that he, you know, just around, you know. And then it was like that. And I started playing for lots of like little people in Kent. And then it turns out some people that I played with are actually quite like, obviously people like Paul Booth who are like really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. world-renowned musicians and I actually found a recording the other day I need to show this to to um you know our friend Pete Churchill who, who will yeah. love this I actually found a recording of like one of my first sessions I did with Tony Coe <laughs> oh wow because <laughs> he was on the That's Kent scene cool. as well yeah and and I must have been about 17 it's just so funny yeah it was a really odd like time and uh and yeah so I, so I was singing like that and so and that was when the idea of going to music college, people said, oh, you know, you should think about going to music college. But I never thought I'd go to music college. I never thought I'd be a musician. I thought I right. wanted to do um, English literature or something. I was really, like, kind of academic at school. But gigging in the evenings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then in the end, I, I went to music college, yeah. So I went to Trinity in the end, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, how did you find that? I mean, it's it's always a big thing, isn't it? It's it's moving to a new city and going and studying and doing all those kinds of things how how did you find that you know did you did you enjoy going to music college was that a good experience for you yeah i loved it um i say that like as if i didn't but i did i loved some of it and then some of it i found quite hard right. at the time i remember finding the stress of having to like um improvise in front of others and achieve exercises you know when you know when you're at music college and you had like improvisational tools and things that you were meant to achieve and like assessments and stuff in front of others I suddenly like found that really stressful because it's all of that whole of putting yourself um yeah kind of in front of others and at the time I hadn't really thought of it like that as like doing gigs as wasn't really the same so I found that quite hard and it was more I think it was a lot of the peer thing of like you know feeling like you have to uh, be as good as people around you and I felt like everyone was much better than me you know like I think everyone thinks that though. So how did it you, you came out of music college how did what what kind of happened then? Well I didn't come straight uh, I, I went I went out of music college and then went back in. <laughs> I, I sort of didn't know that yeah you went to the Royal Academy right yeah? Yeah but yeah. I took, yeah, I decided to do a master's at the Royal Academy um, about, yeah, I took a year out basically to earn some money and then went back. But um, it was cool because in that year out, I, I like entered a couple of jazz competitions and and um, won some, got some money, went back to the academy and I got a scholarship as well to do a master's there. So I did a, I did a two-year master's in one year though. That was the deal. I had to like get it done really quick so that it's I didn't have to spend loads of money. <laughs> it was, it was hard work, but funny enough, I actually enjoyed it more, I think, than my undergraduate degree. And then I kind of wish I'd done two years now, but it was what it was. But yeah, yeah. I think I definitely would have loved to have done two years because I felt much more confident in myself at that point. I knew, like, I knew who I was more and mm. I knew my capabilities and and so it was all about um just developing compositions and doing stuff that I wanted to do which I really enjoyed uh, it was less about like skills whereas that I felt like at Trinity it was a lot about skills which was really great I needed to do that but yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it was good. I did that. And then I finished. So then when I finished my master's, which was a while ago, I then uh, started. Well, <laughs> this is where I changed country. <laughs> yeah, that's a big part of the story. Yeah, it's a big part of the story. So I actually started when I was already doing my master's. I was teaching at um, another music school called Vocal Tech, which you might have heard of. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, And I was teaching piano accompaniment to singers. And then, so off the bat of that, uh, another great singer, uh, well, pianist, but she also sings a bit, Andrea Vicari, uh, offered me um, some work teaching on her Dordogne Jazz Summer School in southwest France. And so I accepted. And then I met my now husband there. Oh, and the <laughs> so story, it, yeah. <laughs> and that's why story I'm in developed, France. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So you, you then moved straight, you moved to France pretty much Not straight, straight after away. That. Yeah, we did. I spent a year commuting between uh, France and London and then made the decision to come to France, yeah, a year later. I fancied the challenge of uh, learning a new language and yeah. uh, my partner is a, well, he's a drummer but also a sound engineer so he built a, a recording studio in a castle. Oh, wow. That sounds like a good good, play, good reason to go to France for a recording yeah. studio in a castle. He wanted to build it, yeah. It, I mean, I say castle because I want to add gravitas to it, but it's more <laughs> like a ruin. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. I'm imagining like a massive French chateau. <laughs> like, it's more like a, a massive French ruin chateau, but okay, yeah, yeah, it's ninth nice, century. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and fantastic. So, that sounds um, amazing. And that was the plan, yeah. And, so, and we did that. We built a, a studio and it's still there called Studio La Tour. Oh, beautiful. And I learned French. And, uh, and so you yes, didn't speak any working. French, sorry, before you moved no, over? zero. Wow. No French at all. That's amazing. Yeah. It was mad. And you just picked it up? Yeah. I mean, I did learn, I did like, I was quite militant about learning it as well. I taught myself it. And uh, I actually took an A-level in French as well when I was here because I was working in a school where that was possible. So I thought, okay, well, I better do that. <laughs> that's so, amazing yeah. oh, I can't speak any languages I'd, I would love to be able to speak a language I think it's such a it's, it's so impressive when you're at like a restaurant or something in another country <laughs> and someone around the table just mysteriously like out of nowhere just starts talking in that language that I just would love to be able to pull out of the bag that's so cool <laughs> that's um, so funny I don't even think of it like that anymore but yeah it's pleasure, oh, right? it is impressive it's amazing so obviously you've been talking a lot about jazz and, and the kind of music you were playing at, 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 when you were at Trinity and the Royal Academy and then the gigs you were doing but Kind of now, I notice you you do a, you spread into a lot of different genres. So when did that kind of happen? Was this always running alongside, or was it very much like you had a sort of change? Or no, it's always been like that. It's just I've become much more unapologetic about being in lots of genres. But I've always loved playing lots and lots of genres and having a go at everything. Um, although saying that, I think. I think I was attracted to learning jazz because I quite like the nuts and bolts of it and there's lots okay. to do in there. Yeah. Um, but I've always loved loads of, like, any style of music, really. Like, it's quite hard to find something that I don't like. That's really, really good. I mean, do you, what what kind of, I mean, this is a very obvious question, but what, what kind of singers really inspire you, do you think? Because, you know... In, in, I mean, obviously you've got the jazz singers, but are there, are there any it's other like particular? endless, <laughs> yeah, I know. endless list, but here we go. Uh, I love, um, there's loads of gospel singers. I love uh, people like Kirk Franklin, people like, uh, there's like pop crossover gospel artists like Tori Kelly. Uh, there's loads of singer-songwriters. I love like Sarah Bareilles. Um, 
uh, loads of jazz artists, um, like Cécile Miclaurin Savant. I think she's fab. Uh, loads of improvising singers as well. Obviously, Bob McFerrin, and you know all the kind of normal references. Singer pianists. I love Leanne Carroll. Love Nat King Cole. Love Stevie. Uh, God, it's just like no end. John Legend. Like a, good, uh, <laughs> a good playlist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Because I think I think from listening to your music, I can hear a lot of those influences coming out. Oh, particularly, really? particularly That's with cool. the sort of earlier ones. You know, you, you yeah. were mentioning. You know. Um, yeah, it's really interesting when people sort of tell you what singers they're into and then you kind of think, oh, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, maybe that might be a really cool time to talk about your writing and, and stuff, because I know, like, songwriting is a really big part of what you do. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to know a little bit about your process. And, I mean, I'm sure your process changes. <laughs> I know for some people it changes on, like, a weekly basis. But what is your process for writing? Yeah, it changes all the time. Um, I mean, I have so much less time to write now than I used to, but I I tend to be, I tend to try and set myself little tasks or little goals. So I'll I'll often keep a list of things of like, you know, subjects that I want to write about or ideas, and then I'll sit myself down and you know try and force myself to 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 finish an idea, but. Yeah, recently I haven't been, uh, last few months it's been challenging. I was really inspired a few months ago and I had lots of ideas, but then, uh, yeah, you know how it goes. It comes with ebbs and flows. But um, there's a few different methods I've had a go at, though. I, I worked a lot with a producer called Richard Niles who has a 11-point right. songwriting method that I sometimes use with students and I've used quite a lot, which is more about writing to brief. Okay. Where you try to write to a title and you're trying to write, you know, something that really kind of does what it says on the tin, which can be quite fun because it's quite a, I mean, it's a quite commercial way of writing, but when you listen to a lot of songs around you that are, you know, performing well, often they actually follow a lot of the things on that formula. Um, but I also like to change up sometimes, try to write different styles of, of songs with different forms and structures and things like that, yeah. Come back to standards as well, you know. Everything yeah, really. It's a, it's a really it's, it's a really interesting thing to hear about that process. So with, so with that brief, like, what can you give us an example of what that might be? Because someone might be listening, to like, oh, what's that? That sounds like an amazing yeah, formula. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. So the first step in the plan is that you have to identify quite clearly who your audience is. So identify who is the song aimed at, and you know maybe identify five other artists that are um, similar, like right. writing to that same, you know. Uh, market so for example if it's teenage girls you know pick your five artists that are doing teenage girls it's just about focusing your your thoughts so then you're going to adapt your language towards that and you need to pick you pick your title first for example make your title your chorus and you write your chorus first and your okay. chorus is all about the central theme to the idea so um and then your verses are supporting that. And it could either be in the form of like a song like that has a story. So like, for example, Taylor Swift song, often you'll have something like, you know, the chorus like mean. Is she talking about how, you know, someone's been mean to her in her whole life? So the whole song is about being mean. So the chorus has to be mean. And that's the okay. central idea. And then the verses are like the narrative to that. So it's it could be a narrative or it could just be, you know, it could be quite vague as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be 
that it could be figurative. And then you go towards a bridge where there'll be a change of uh, pace of some kind. So maybe we're talking about the future or there's been um, a change of um, thought or there's been some kind of conclusion or, you know, so there's, you know, perhaps a resolution to the conflict or the conflict continues. Um, Yeah, so it's those... I think sometimes those, um, the, I mean, if anyone's interested, <laughs> I can send them it. <laughs> sometimes having those templates to follow can be really good, especially if you're writing a song for a specific brief, which, you know, if you've got somebody that would like a song for a certain reason or maybe an educational process, um, say uh, a song in a show or something, yeah. and you want to be really clear and direct about what it's about, I find it can be really useful to create, you know, little boundaries for yourself. Absolutely. And I imagine it's really useful as well if you're sort of, if the ideas aren't exactly flowing at the time, you know, it can be quite good to have that formula to follow just to get you out of that trap sometimes. Absolutely. And sometimes the other thing I suggest to people is when, if you, if you're feeling like lack of inspiration, you know, go off and listen to, you know, make a list of, you know, three or four different songs that you love that are reference songs and then analyse them. Go through, like, what, how is this song constructed? What's, what do you see? Because you most, nine times out of ten, you will find patterns within the songs. You'll find zones of repetition or a certain lexicon that's used or a certain, you know, style of um, of maybe rhyme or rhythm or meter or something. Mm-hmm. And if once you deconstruct what you already see somewhere else and then try to do your follow that as a template and then and do it yourself um it can be a really like nice way of breaking out of a pattern of writing already but also it can be a nice way of re-inspiring yourself to write in a way that you might not be used to doing which can be cool as well and do do you write at the piano or is this kind of away from the piano lyrics for how is it it, or is it sometimes it changes all the time um sometimes i write at the piano a lot of the time i don't (laughs) <laughs> a lot of the time I'm writing on some kind of form of transport because I'm always on transport <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it it really varies. Sometimes I have things, yeah, and I don't always write that way around either. You know, sometimes it's melody first and I hear a melody and then I'm just, you know, putting words to a melody. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not always, it's not always the same. But, yeah, I can, I think... I think it can be really useful for things like, especially kind of riffy songs, anything that's rhythmic, it can be really useful to get away from the instrument and just think about the words and the rhythm and stuff like that. Chanting. Yeah, chords come later. Yeah, yeah. Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favour. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. I think one of the things that people listening to this might be thinking, which is quite, which would be really interesting to ask you about. Obviously you did the whole jazz thing and I, 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 I don't know if you agree, but if you're playing jazz in a band, the way you play piano would be very different if you're accompanying yourself singing a song, the kind of totally, voices you're yeah. using. Completely different. So thinking about that, how did you develop those skills of being able to sit down and accompany yourself playing really nice voicings through a song that, you know, 
that had good voice leading and all these kinds of things how, how did you learn those kind of skills mm, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did it's hard I to think that? about isn't it when you when you when you sort of sort of yeah. do a lot of those things a bit naturally you know yeah yeah I think a lot of things I've I think a lot of things I've picked up by ear I mean I definitely went through a phase of working stuff out though like I remember working out quite a lot of Leanne Carroll songs like mm. working out her little voicings and things she did and then I'd do that for a few other things as well Stevie songs but I definitely I think it does mix and it all does mix in together as well so some of the jazz voicings that I started learning because same I mean because I was mainly a singer at college I didn't get tons of piano at all I got bits and pieces that I managed to glean from various teachers but I managed to kind of adapt it um, I think a lot of it comes from listening and and trying to work out what other people do. I was really into different piano styles as well of company. Like I got really into Ben Folds at one point. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, Jamie Cullum as well, of course. Mm. Trying to work Amazing. those things out. So I think a lot of it's working stuff out, but you kind of have a framework, don't you? And I, I do think that whole kind of doing your thirds and sevenths, there's massive benefits to that because it does help you find the shapes much quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So w with the singing and playing, I'd, I'd love to know, because that is, you're kind of doing three things at the same time, right? And on a really simple level, you've got your you've got your left hand, you've got your right hand, and you're vocalising. Yeah. And sometimes you might back phrase things when you're vocalising and you can't let that change. Was that quite a natural process of putting those two things together? Or is that something that you've really had to consciously kind of work on? Uh, yeah, I think... Looking back at it now, I remember working on it and I remember it not being natural. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, you kind of have to practice it until it becomes automatic so you're not even thinking about your left hand anymore. Like, so that you okay. can just maintain a walking baseline whilst having a chat and having a cup of tea and doing whatever you're doing, which I totally can. <laughs> Just, so was that something you practice? You literally would yeah. just sit and try and I'd just often get on with sit, something. Yeah, I'd sit around and be like trying to watch TV whilst like playing a blues and my hand. Oh wow, okay, that's cool yeah. to know. That's good yeah. for people to hear. But I think I do think it just comes from just doing it a lot, like, and I have done it a lot. <laughs> it's that's a lot great. of piano bar gigs. I've done a lot of piano bar. <laughs> So that's uh, just for anyone who's listening, a piano bar gig is where you kind of sit and you you might, might be in a restaurant or something like that and you're playing and people will ask requests. Did you do requests as well? Was that your Yeah, favorite? so when I was at the academy, I uh, that was my primary piano bar period and I think it's partly responsible for why I wanted to leave the country. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, no. did, I did kind of two years solid of loads and loads of um, of like piano bars in London so I did all the kind of the hotels on the the Mayfair strip I did the Ritz right. and the Savoy and <laughs> and I had lots of residencies all so I was just up and down that that strip <laughs> like every day and the gigs are really long they're like four hours long wow. and most of the time you're ignored yeah. so it's quite good because you learn lots of things in different keys but then it also becomes a job because you get bored because <laughs> you're just hearing yourself all the time and it's actually really hard to feel inspired when you're just playing the same old shit <laughs> you have to know a lot of music as well to fill four hours don't you yeah yeah, yeah. that's quite a long a long time 
Yeah, and um, obviously, so so you do. So then, I mean, it is a school. It's great for that because, like, you, then you have to think about like, how can I make this slightly different this time? Because you know, every time it's like, okay, I'm going to play the head, I'm going to sing the melody, I'm going to comp my way through it, and then what? Okay, I play a solo with my right hand. Okay, and then what head out i can't do that every time for four hours <laughs> so you start trying to figure out different kind of um textures so you know it could just be two feel like you know just left hand and voice or it could be two feel with you know shell voicings and then maybe fuller voicings and then you could and then you decide when you're going to walk because when you walk it's an event right right and then it's like oh are you going to go double time at a certain point or not and like if you're going to do your solo are you going to go back into like a stridey solo or are you going to go are you going to keep the walking left hand whilst you solo in the right hand are you going to do scat solo are you going to scat solo at the same time as your right hand or are you going to scat solo at the same time as your left hand like so then you create all these like little games with yourself to um just to make it sound like it's not just you playing and singing for four hours, but it Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I like all of that. I mean, that's, I kind of did a bit of that when I was kind of 16 and it, I, all my friends had paper rounds. So um, they'd sort of go out at like in the freezing cold at like 6am or whatever yeah. it is to do a paper round back when we were growing up. And I used to go to this restaurant just on a Friday night and they had like a big grand piano there and I would just play. Brilliant. And at the time I was like, oh, this is work or whatever. But when I look back at it now, like <laughs> I definitely got the better end of the deal with that job, right? And people would like buy me drinks. I don't think they realised I was only 16 and you weren't <laughs> I wasn't allowed to drink. You know, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's you so know. good. Yeah. Uh, no, I definitely, I, I, I mean, I still do a little bit of that now. Mm. But, um, and mainly just... Because I like, I quite like it when it's when it's not every day. But I went yeah. through, I was in a phase where I was doing it every day. Sometimes I do like a lunchtime slot and an evening slot, and it was just got <laughs> too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so now I mainly play with trios now, but I still do. I mean, I still maybe do two or three a, a month uh, just on my own, and it's quite, I actually quite enjoy it. Yeah, of course, yeah. especially when it becomes more of like a novelty to do it. Yeah. Um, and I know that teaching is a really big part of your life as well. You've mentioned that a little bit. Yeah. so far but do you, I know you, you've got several positions where you teach now at kind of similar institutions to maybe where you studied yeah. kind of conservatoires they're called so for anyone listening a conservatoire is where you basically go it's a posh name for a music college it's where you go and you study a particular instrument so you work in Brussels oh, sorry in Bordeaux and Brussels yeah I've actually um, I actually left my position in Bordeaux because I wanted to make more time um, to do other things. So, but I was, I was a professor in Bordeaux for 10 years and then, fantastic, uh, uh, which was a cool experience to, to work in and the system in France, it's really different. Um, but I was uh, once again working with um, this, I seem to always straddle this kind of pop slash jazz person mm. of course so it was like that and that was cool and um i'm current so i'm currently working at um at trinity laban on the bampi course and also at, in brussels at the royal conservatory in brussels um on the jazz course fantastic um, yeah what, what what's kind of like i know i know as well you're in a still vocal vocal uh, sorry what do you call it a still mm. vocal trained how yeah do you, i'm how do in you a still it? master trainer yeah that yeah, was it I i'm qualified it was, that, like that. <laughs> i'm qualified yeah <laughs> that, i mean that's a really interesting thing because i actually hadn't heard of, heard of that from sure. uh, only until a few years ago but it's a massive thing right isn't it amongst yeah. vocal coaches so maybe you just explain a little bit about what that is yeah well it's brilliant um it's 
it's a, it's a particular thing. It's kind of going into the world of voice geekery. Uh, it's a model that explains the function of um, the anatomic, physiological and acoustic function of everything to do with the voice. So what you do with the Estelle model... So uh, it was written by this researcher from New York. Her name was Jo Estelle. She's passed away now. But she did all the kind of primary research on the larynx back when... Um, they could first have access to larynxes <laughs> with um, endoscopies and, and and all sorts of cameras that you could go down. And she actually linked the the medical research with with exercises to give us greater motor control over what we do. So instead of like just being, I don't know if you try singing and it's like one day you can sing a note and it's brilliant and then another day you sing the same note and it's really not brilliant and you're like, but why? I don't understand. How can it work one day and not the another day? And obviously that is really stressful if your job is to sing. <laughs> you know, so what's great about the model is it's a way of actually understanding, okay, so what actually happens when we make a sound? So our true vocal folds vibrate. Okay, so how can I feel those? And, you know, getting into the kinesthetic feeling of every tiny little sound that we make so that we can actually control everything we do. Um, so it's an, it's been an absolute revelation. I actually discovered the model when I was in London at the Academy right? because there's a really um, world-renowned uh, still um, mentor and course instructor at the Royal Academy of Music called Anne-Marie Speed and she, she teaches on the musical theatre course there. And... Um, so I started, so I actually had her as my one-to-one -one when I was at the Academy alongside um, Pete Church as well for the jazz stuff. And it all kind of started there. And then obviously I left to come to France and there was, uh, the model hadn't been translated into French yet. So I was thinking, oh, you know, I was always toying around wanting to learn how to teach it. And then I, um, in 2017, found out that they'd actually run a course, the very first course in French in France with um, a team from Quebec. And then I got ah. in touch with them and I work with that team now. So I've actually trained with all the Canadian coaches and I was the first round of French speaking coaches as me and uh, my colleague Julien Gendron and another one called Caroline Dion. And we were the first kind of three or four kind of French speaking is still courses, um, oh, uh, master trainers. Yeah. And so that's kind of part, part of our little mission is to, to run these are still courses in French to give the French speaking people uh, an opportunity to learn the model because it's just so useful uh, being able to to have greater control over what you do. And yeah. you've obviously noticed like massive differences in your own singing since looking into it and, and becoming one of the a master trainer. Oh, oh my goodness, it completely changed my life. Yeah, because oh. I know, I like. I know how to, so it's it's changed my life as a singer because it's given myself more control in terms of what I do, one thing, but also as a teacher because it means I can be really specific with students. When I hear that something's not, um, you know, if, if they could perform something more efficiently or I can hear that they're struggling with something, I can be really specific about what it is that's actually going wrong because I've trained my ear to know it. So I can hear if the larynx is too high or I can hear if, you know, the tongue's in the wrong place or I can I can hear absolutely every tiny little thing and then I can give them better directions to give them the sound that they want you know so it's it's such a useful uh thing but it takes time like anything it takes time to learn it but once you learn it it gives you so much freedom yeah 
And I know you also run an amazing songwriting retreat as well. This is, yeah. might be really interesting for some of the people listening to it this. It is amazing. writing songs. So yeah, <laughs> do you want to just tell me about that? So that's in France, isn't it? Yeah. So I think this is our, hang on, it might be our fourth or fifth year now. I can't remember now. It's been going a little while though. Yeah. So I ran this, I decided this is like my baby, my third baby, because I already have two children, but this is like my, <laughs> my third child. Um, I wanted to... I wanted to run a course, um, but I wanted to run a course that was different, that would, like, you know, that nobody was really doing. And uh, I thought, oh, if there was a course that I could go to, what course would I want? <laughs> uh, and this is the course I've, I've created. It's a shame that I teach on it. I'd write, like somebody else to teach on it so that I can go on it. <laughs> so you can do it. Yeah, I would. Are you yeah. up for that, Adam, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Maybe one um, day, yeah. And what happens is everyone, I rent out this lovely uh, gîte in the countryside uh, near my house in Amy. And... Um, and everyone comes onto the onto the site, and it's like a songwriting uh, hang for a week. And in the mornings, um, myself and Pete Churchill run classes, or like skills classes, to give people ideas for how to write. So it could be, um, you know, how to write a lyric, or how to write a chord progression, or a specific. Um, uh, it could be an analysis on something. You know, so the idea is that there's skills, so that is to give people yeah. the tools to to write with. And then in the afternoon, people go off and write. In they can co-write because obviously there's lots of people there, or they can write on their own. And then in the early evening, we all come together with a nice glass of wine and we listen to everyone's songs. And then oh, we eat dinner and then we jam <laughs> and we oh, do that man. every day. <laughs> I'm going to have to put a link to that in the episode description. So is it still yeah. open? Is it presumably uh it's well, running quite soon yeah yeah it's it's running in a few weeks but there are a few places available um for off-sites for sure and i've actually got a couple i might have some accommodation options for people so yeah if anyone wants to come along there, amazing get in touch well i definitely sure. put the i definitely put the link in the description so people can check it can, yeah can and, check and it the out. whole the whole thing about it is that it's a place where you can actually get constructive feedback on your on your songs because you're not completely left on your own but there's also you know all the peer feedback as well and you're kind of you're out of it you know you're in a in this place in the countryside there's a pool all the food's provided and you just can concentrate on on your writing but it's guided you know and there's and there's a nice social thing to it as well and yeah it's been it's been really successful since we've since we've been running it and it's it's super fun do you write songs as well as part of it? Do you go away no, and, I and end write up, songs? I always want to. I, and yeah. I end up, no, I, I go around helping everybody uh, writing songs because in the afternoon, often that's the thing. I'll go around and if anyone's stuck on something or if anyone needs some vocal coaching on something. So that's mm. that's what Pete and I tend to do in the afternoon. So I never, I never have time to write. But maybe this year, maybe I'll try and like just... Mm, I don't know. It's quite hard when you're also running the course. <laughs> yeah, of course, to sit down and think I'm going to write a lovely, a lovely song now when you're probably trying to make sure everyone's okay and yeah. you know got everything they need. Yeah, yeah. But I'd like to go on it if if somebody else could teach it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds brilliant. Well, I mean, just to sort of wrap up, I think there's, there's a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast think, oh my, I'd really love to be able to play and sing just like Paola does and sing down, oh. sit down and play songs and sing. What sort of advice, what what was the biggest thing that you did that really propelled you forward in terms of Megeda sing and play? If they're just thinking, oh, I just can't get this together. What what sort of things would you, you say to help them? Yeah. Um, what what would I suggest? I would, I would suggest, I think triads are really great. 
learning how to play triads in time and then various inversions of those triads and being comfortable to flip between them. Um, I would definitely suggest that. And yeah, playing along to various singer pianists and working out their grooves and things like that. I think that's really useful. Um, and separating the two, for sure. I think just working on the piano and then adding the voice on top. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. And then eventually they link up and it's quite mysterious. It's true. It's, it's true that it's mysterious, but they do. And it all just kind of comes together. But the more you do it, I think you just have to be consistent and tenacious and it'll be... It'll be fabulous. Oh, fantastic. That's so good. Yeah, I love the idea of playing along with recordings. I don't do that enough, actually. No, like, I don't I think either, that's, but it's a know, good thing. <laughs> you just learn so much when you do that because you learn the groove, you learn, you yeah. notice so much more about what's going on. You learn, like, you hear things in the harmony that you don't hear when you just listen to it on its own. Totally. Um, and not being frightened to slow it down. So, like, slow it down. So, what? It doesn't matter. You're still picking stuff up, even if you're doing yeah. it half speed. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Amazing. So if people want to go check you out, where can they? I'll put the um I'll put the the singing songwriting retreat in the description. But is there yeah. anything else that'd be great for people to well, go and check out? My website is palavera.com. You can catch me on Instagram, Palavera Music. Um Facebook I think is the same, Palavera Music. Uh yeah, Facebook, Instagram and my website. Amazing. I'll put links to all of those in the description. Thanks so much Yay. for coming on, Paul. It's been great to chat. Oh, thanks so much. It's been it's been such a pleasure. And hopefully <laughs> uh bump into you in London soon. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Bye. Thanks so much to Paola for coming on the podcast. It was really great to hear about everything she's up to. Do go and check out all those links in the episode description, particularly the songwriting retreat, which sounds amazing. And do, of course, go and check out her music. Thanks for listening. We have lots of other awesome guests coming up for you. So do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you in the next episode. Thank you.